0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. I started studying the Bible seriously about 40 years ago. I lived in a town called Gypsy, Pennsylvania, a town that if you put them all in the seats in this room, they wouldn't fill up these two sections. That's how big the town was. And Gypsy Christian Church was the church I attended. And on Easter and Christmas, we had about 50 people there. We were real excited on Christmas and Easter and we had so many people. And one time, when I was 16 years old, we got a new pastor. His name was Andy Wygant, And, you know... I try to picture if, if a church only had 50 people on Christmas and Easter, what does the pastor do all week? Well, I know he has to write a sermon, because you've got to write a sermon every week. And I know he visited people in the hospital, there weren't that many people in the hospital, but there wasn't any internet, wasn't any cable, wasn't any Twitter, wasn't any texting, wasn't even Spider Solitaire, I don't think. What do he do all week? Well, he decided, and I don't know why he decided this, but I'm eternally grateful he did. He decided to ask me if I would like to study the Bible with him every week. So I had a one-on-one study with my, a Bible study with my pastor every week. And I don't remember all the details about everything we studied, but I remember one detail that changed my life forever. It's a way of studying the Bible that I actually practice to this day. And what we did, and especially when we studied Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John... Uh, which are the four gospels, we call them. They're the the accounts of Jesus' life, his teachings, his uh, ministries of healing and uh, deliverance and his death and resurrection. When we would study the four gospels, we would pretend, Andy asked me to do this, pretend that we were the 13th and 14th disciple and we were there. And so like Peter got in the boat, you know, he's in the boat with all the other guys. We're there too. And Jesus comes walking on the water and, he, and Peter says, if it's really you, come, you know, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Now what would we do if we were there? Would we come with Peter? Or would we stay in the boat with everybody else? Now I don't know what we really would have done, but we talked about that. And what happened was the Bible came alive. It had never been alive for me. I'd been a Christian for four years already. I trusted Jesus when I was 12. But when I would pick up the Bible and start reading, I knew it was true, I knew it was good stuff and I should probably do it, but it never was alive. And suddenly it came alive for me. And I realized it might have been easier for me for it to come alive because there was a TV show on. It came on when I was 14 called You Are There. It was actually the revival of a TV show that had been on from 1953 to 57 called You Are There by Walter Cronkite. Now some of you will remember Walter Cronkite, most of you probably don't, but some of you will remember he was a newsman, he was the news anchor on CBS News for many years, but he had this show on Saturday mornings called You Are There, and what they would do is they would portray events from history, like the assassination of Lincoln, and, and Walter Cronkite would narrate behind what happened, and they would just sort of show, sort of like, you know, no words, or maybe there were, I don't remember that part, but I remember this part. At the end of the show, every week, he would say, what sort of day was it? a day like all days, filled with those events that alter and illuminate our times, and you were there. And, and, and I was like, yeah, I was. You know, so when Andy said a couple years later, why don't we study the Bible, and, and why don't we put ourselves in the situation as if you are there, I went, yeah, because have you ever read a book and then gone to the movie? Isn't it disappointing? Because the movie's never as good as the book. Because in your own mind, you create much better you know, scenery, much better characters than a movie can ever do. And, and so for me, actually picking up this book and, and imagining Jesus walking across the water or imagining Jesus you know, coming up to a guy named Bartimaeus and hear Bartimaeus and saying, Jesus, son of David, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus goes, what do you want me to do for you? I want to see. And, and I was there and it was like, wow. And then about a year and a half after that, my brother Ken got the cornea of his eye torn. I told this story two weeks ago. You know, he was, he was 15, I was 17. And Andy, our same pastor, went to pray for them the night before surgery. And uh, the next morning his eye was healed. And when that happened, I started to connect that what happened back then was real with what happens now is real. And, and so I'm here today because of Andy Wygant. I give Andy Wygant the credit and God the glory because he showed me this stuff is real. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do the same thing. It's Palm Sunday. We're going to put ourselves into the Palm Sunday event. And we're going to use our sanctified imagination. And I don't hardly ever use the word sanctified standing up here, so I'm going to explain what that means. Sanctification is a, a fancy word for saying the process of becoming like Jesus. We just finished a series 10 weeks long called Live Like Jesus. And even though the series is over, I hope that we're still trying and and training to live more like Jesus every day. And so sanctification is taking the words of Jesus and all the rest of the words of truth in the scripture and combining it in the power of the Holy Spirit to grow more and more like Jesus. It's a lifelong process. We, We are justified just as if we never sinned because Jesus died for us in an instant, but sanctification is the rest of our lives. And a lot of Christians They just want to be justified. They want to be saved and go to heaven when they die, but they don't really want to be sanctified because that's hard. You know, it's easy to be justified. You just say, Jesus, come into my life. But being sanctified means that we're going to do what he says in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're going to conform our lives to his. And so anyway, we're going to use our sanctified imagination, which simply means we're going to think like God would think about these things. And we're going to go into the situation of Palm Sunday. Now, all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record Palm Sunday. All four Gospels record what happened when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Only John tells us there were palm branches involved. In fact, if we didn't have John, if we only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we would probably have to call it maybe Cloak Sunday, because they put their cloaks in front of, you know, Jesus as he came into town. Or maybe we would call it Passion Sunday because a lot of people call it that because it was the Sunday leading up to Jesus' passion or suffering. We use the word passion differently, but it really means to suffer with. To suffer is passion. And so anyway, whatever we call it, the four Gospels record it, And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John's account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, they're all different. And there are some people who do that, they read them, and they go, wow, they're all different. I don't believe it. Because if they were, they would be the same if it was true. And I say the opposite. If they were all exactly the same, I would know it wasn't true. Because my brother Ken and I used to get in trouble about every day, and we would come up with stories. And the stories would always be exactly the same for a while because we learned something if the story's exactly the same, mom's not going to believe it. Like, for instance, one day, we, we, uh, mom came home, uh, and we were eight and six, okay? And I know you wouldn't leave your eight and six-year-old children at home by yourself, but I lived in Gypsy, and, and it was, you know, a long, long time ago, uh, 48 years ago when I was eight. And, and it was okay to do that then. So mom came home, and there was ginger ale on the ceiling in the kitchen. And here's what we said. Fritz did it. Fritz was our dachshund. And my mother looked at Ken and she goes, Yep. He said, Yep, Fritz did it. So she just spanked both of us. And we went outside and huddled together and said, That didn't work. <laughs> Why didn't it work? You know, maybe we need to like vary it up a little bit. Because we came to find out that if a story's exactly the same, it's probably made up. You see, the four gospel writers don't have the exact same account because they're four different people. They're actually writing to four different audiences, and they're inspired by the Holy Spirit to record the events that happened, and, and Matthew and John had been there. Mark and Luke had not, so Luke had taken the accounts that were available at the time, and he had put them together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The point is, we're going to go to Mark today. We're not going to look at all four, but I'm going to bring in some little details from this one and that one as we... Uh, Use our sanctified imagination and go back in time, and you are there. And I know what some of you are doing. You're going, <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not going to pretend anything. I, I'm just not going to do it. That's okay. Don't do it. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to do it. It's a free country, right? So don't do it. But the rest of you, what we're going to do is we're going to open up God's Word to Mark chapter 11. If you have your Bible, you might want to open up to Mark 11. Um, before we do that, one last thing. Take-home point. Here at New Life, we always seek to make one point. You know, I, I was at a preaching conference one time, and somebody raised their hand and said, how many points should a good sermon have? And the instructor said, at least one. Here at New Life, we believe at most one, because then you can take it out and live it. That's the, so the take-home point today is, people celebrated Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but their hosannas were short-lived, are ours, You see, on Poem Sunday, what happened was Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and everybody's going, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save now. Because they they had heard about Jesus. He was doing miracles and he was raising people from the dead and they're thinking he might be the Messiah, the one that God was gonna send to deliver them from the Roman oppression. And they were all excited and so they're all shouting, Hosanna, except for that was Sunday and on Friday, the same group was shouting, crucify him. How is that possible? How is it possible you're shouting Hosanna, Hosanna on Sunday and on Friday you're shouting crucify him? Well, there are a lot of things that happen in between Sunday and Friday, but we don't live back in 33 AD. We live now, so we know know what happened. It's not like a secret, right? Jesus wrote in, they said Hosanna on Friday, they killed him, which was the worst day in human history because we killed God. But then... Jesus got up on Sunday. Next week, that's what we're gonna talk about. You know, Jesus rose from, we know that, right? Everybody in the room heard about that before, right? Okay, Jesus rose from the dead. So we have a different perspective. So they only shouted Hosanna on Sunday and by Friday they were shot and crucified him. How long are we gonna shout Hosanna? That's the point. Are we gonna shout Hosanna the rest of our lives until we see Jesus again? Or are we just gonna sort of, you know, shout Hosanna whenever it's Palm Sunday and then forget about it till next Palm Sunday? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for sending Jesus to save us from sin and death and to give us a new life forever. Today, as we turn to your word, we do pray that you'll help us to see what happened, to experience it in a new way so that we can go out and shout Hosanna in the midst of all the the good things and the hard things that come to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so now we're going to open up our Bible to Mark chapter 11, verse 1, or your Bible app or whatever. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to go little bit by little bit, and we're going to pretend we're there. So it says, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Before we go on, the gospel writers always told us where Jesus was, Sometimes they told us what day it was, and the reason they did that was because they wanted us to understand Jesus' life was anchored in history. He's not a myth or a legend. He actually lived, and he actually walked the earth in a specific time, a specific place. And this place that he was at was right outside of Jerusalem on a vantage point where he could look down into Jerusalem and surrounding towns around it. Now, as Jesus looked from that vantage point, Jesus knew something none of the disciples knew. Everybody was gonna shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then everybody was going to shout, crucify him. And he was going to die. He knew that. That's why he came. Jesus came to the earth to die so that our sins could be forgiven forever and we could have a new life forever. Jesus knew that. Nobody else knew that that day. We know that because we're looking back. But We're gonna pretend we don't know that. We're all standing there with Jesus and he's looking down over the thing. But what I want you to think about is this. Do you have the same kind of destiny, not the same destiny, the same kind of a destiny given by God in your life that Jesus had? The answer is yes, because God created every one of us. Ephesians chapter two says we are God's masterpiece and we are created for good works. And so we have a purpose just like Jesus, but Jesus is looking down and as Jesus is looking down, he says... To two of them, uh, he sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there. He told them, as soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untied and bring it here. If anyone asks you, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and we'll return it soon. Okay, I'm the one of the two and you're the other of the two. And we're told by Jesus, go to town. You're gonna find a donkey on which nobody has ever ridden. How do you know that? I mean, start to think like you're there. Jesus, how are we going to know he never? Okay, you get to sit on him because I'm not because that's probably how you can find out if nobody ever rode on him, right? Because he'll knock you off. All right, but the other thing is, Jesus says, get a donkey that's tied up somewhere and bring it here. Isn't that stealing? I mean, does that cross your mind? We're going to steal a donkey for Jesus? And, and what's the, what, what are we, we going to say if somebody comes out and says, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? We're going to say, the Lord needs it. Oh, that sounds good, right? Okay, so I go up to your house some morning, and I get in your car, and you come out, and you say, what are you doing? And I say, well, I'm going to borrow your car. The Lord needs it. (laughs) Okay, tell that to the officer, right? I mean, okay, so there we are, and Jesus says, I want you to go to town, get the donkey, come back with it. Now, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, I'm not going to do it? I am going to do it? If you're thinking either of those two things, you're with me. That's all I care about. You're with me right now. We're back then. This is now, but we're back then, and here's what happens next. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. It worked. It worked. Jesus said, Go get the donkey. And whenever you are untying it and somebody says, why are you doing that? You just say, the Lord needs it. And it worked. I mean, just think as we're walking back with the donkey, we're going, to, did you see what happened? I mean, that really, it really worked. How did Jesus know that? How did he know that they were going to let us have that donkey? Now, there's a the, there's the big question, isn't it? Well, Jesus knows a lot of stuff. They would seen Jesus knew a lot of stuff that nobody else could know. They believed. We believed because we're there, right? We believe that Jesus is the son of God. So this is like a little thing to Jesus, knowing where there would be a donkey tied up. So he comes back and it says this, verse seven, this is one that most people would skip right by, but this is maybe one of the most important verses in this entire passage, it says, then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it and he sat on it. Now, there are people who have spilled a lot of ink asking the question, well, was it a donkey or was it a horse? It's a colt, right? Well, isn't a colt uh, you know, like a horse? Okay, so wait, wait, I thought it was a donkey. Well, actually back in verse two, remember when it said young donkey? If you read the Greek text of Mark, it says colt. It doesn't say donkey. But John's gospel says donkey. And, and this is the cool one. Matthew's don- uh, gospel says two donkeys. It, go ahead, read it. It's not, not right now, but afterwards. Read it. It says Jesus rode on two donkeys, the mother and the, the, the foal. So you're saying, well, Chris, we don't care whether it's a donkey or a horse. Yes, we do. Because in that day, when a king of Israel rode into town on a donkey, it signified peace. When he rode into town on a horse, it signified war. It's a big difference. This is not just like a little passing point. Jesus comes into town on a donkey because he's bringing peace between God and the whole human race. Now think about this, we can fast forward because even though we're there for a moment, we're gonna fast forward to Good Friday, Jesus dies. The king of kings and the Lord of lords dies on Good Friday and that's the only reason we can call it Good Friday because he's dead because he died for our sins. Think about this, when have you ever heard of a war where the king goes to war and the king sacrifices his life and he wins? You can read all the history books you ever want to and the king dies, the, the war's over and the other team wins. The other nation always wins when the king dies. Play chess, who, what do you have to do? Kill the king. When you kill the king, you win. But the king dies and we win. All of us win, he wins. So this is what's gonna happen. The king is riding on a donkey because he's bringing peace. But if we fast forward to the book of Revelation, Jesus is coming back and guess what he's riding? A horse. Hmm. Pretty important. Because when he comes back the next time, he isn't bringing peace. He's bringing victory. He's going to defeat everybody who's not on his side, and he's going to establish his kingdom forever. So this is verse 7. You should underline that if you have your own Bible, because that's a very important verse. So Jesus is going to come in on a donkey and not a horse, which makes a big difference. And then it says, many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others spread leafy branches and they had cut it they had cut in the fields that's where we get the palm branches in John's gospel so let's pause there for a minute Jesus coming into town let's just picture right over there see those two doors that's actually the gate of Jerusalem and Jesus comes riding in he's on a donkey people are starting to put their coats down in front of them little branches palm branches other kind of stuff and and there's crowd is gathering. Well, of course there's a crowd because it's Passover. And everybody who was a Jew in that day saw Passover as the most important holy day there ever was because that's the day that God had delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. He had saved them. That's pretty significant because Jesus is going to save all of us. So anyway, it's Palm Sunday, we call it, but it's Passover weekend coming up. And so there's all these people, because Passover is actually the next weekend, but they're all gathering around. And so picture this. There are people in the crowd. You're the crowd. I'm I'm going to come and join the crowd in a minute. But we're all the crowd. And as the crowd is gathering, some are like going, what's going on? Isn't that how they're always in the crowd? Why are we here? They show up for the parade. They don't even know what the parade is. And so they show up, and they're like, what's going on? they're going, Jesus, Jesus, there's Jesus over there. He's coming into town, and he's riding on a donkey. You know what that means, don't you? And they're like, I don't know what that means. That means he's bringing peace. We're gonna be defeating these stinking Romans and we're gonna be free. It's gonna be a, a time of peace. That's what they're, some of them are thinking. So anyway, let's read on what it says. It says, Jesus was in the center of the procession and the people all around him were shouting, praise God, not really. They are shouting, Hosanna, which really means save now, not praise God, a little bad translation. Every now and then when you use an English translation you get a couple words that aren't right. But praise God's okay. It's not a bad thing to say. Hosanna, save now, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessing on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. Okay, so now here we are. It's Palm Sunday. Officially changed the name from Passover weekend to Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding into town. Here we are. Some of us are sitting around with our hands in our pockets. Some of us are getting the idea Jesus is coming. So all of you who are able, I want you to stand up right now, please. Would you please stand up? We're the crowd. We are the crowd. We're here. And what I want you to do is to do what you would do if you were really there. If you saw Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you recognized that maybe this could be the Savior that we've been waiting for, what would you do? So just do whatever you would do if that was the case. All right. Okay. All right. Have a seat, pretty weak, but alright. One of you actually threw your one of you actually threw your garment. That was cool. I like that. And the clapping thing, that was good. Okay. I didn't hear a single Hosanna, but that's okay. Okay. Who said Hosanna? Noah. Thank you, buddy. I didn't hear you. You gotta shout louder next time. Anyway. I just told a kid to shout in church. Why not? So, anyway, here we are. Everybody is shouting Hosanna, everybody's praising God. Now not everybody, the religious leaders really were standing there with their hands in their cloaks on. Who's he think he is? And they walked up to him and they said, who do you think you are? Do you hear what these people are saying? You've got to tell them to shut up. And Jesus said, I'll tell you the truth. If they shut up, the stones are going to cry out. Imagine that. He told the religious leaders off, huh? I mean, we're there, it's pretty cool. I mean, nobody, everybody wants to tell the religious leaders off, right? But nobody will, but Jesus does. Jesus says, if they shut up, the stones are going to cry out. So then, party's over, parade's over. Jesus, it says, came to Jerusalem, went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. So the parade's over. Jesus goes to the temple. He looks around. He knows it's Passover week. He knows that on Friday this crowd that was so wondrous and so affirming is going to crucify. Well, they're not going to crucify him, but they're going to they're going to vote to crucify him. He knows that the religious leaders who just argued with him are going to turn him over to Pilate, and Pilate, the Roman governor, is going to have him crucified. That's going to happen in five days. But he looks in the temple. He sees what's happening. It's evening. He doesn't have time to do much. So he goes back to Bethany, probably stays at the home of Lazarus, who used to be dead. Now he's alive. And Mary and Martha for the night. And then Monday he gets up. He comes into town. He goes to the temple. And he teaches in the temple all week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And Thursday evening, he gathers the 12 into a place in Jerusalem, an upper room. And they have the Passover meal. And at the Passover meal, he says, one of you is going to betray me. Peter, you're going to deny you've ever known me. I'm instituting a new thing right now. I'm going to take this bread and no longer symbolizes what it used to symbolize. Now this bread is my body given for you. Eat it in remembrance of me. And then he takes a cup and he says, this cup is no longer symbolizing what it used to symbolize. This is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then they go out and Jesus prays for hours. He prays so hard that he sweats blood. And as he's praying, sweating blood, he asks a simple favor of his heavenly Father. Let's find another way. I don't wanna die. Could we do it a different way? But if we can't do it a different way, I'll do it your way. Because that's why I came. And so he gets up after praying several times for a long time, and the guys from the, from, the, from the religious leaders with the soldiers, they come, and they arrest him, and they take him, and they question him, and they find him guilty, and they beat him, and they turn him over to the Romans who beat him again, and then they crucify him. And that's what happens on Good Friday. And then he's put in a tomb. Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, Different story. The dead guy's alive. He's not just a dead guy. He's alive and he's Jesus and he's the son of the living God. And we all know all that. But as we, as we brought Jesus in here this morning, as we went back there, w- was it more real to you? Did, if, it, if it was, great. Maybe you might want to do that when you're studying the Bible every now and then. I still do it after 40 years because it still helps me to ask questions that ordinary people would ask. And to see things that I never saw, if it didn't help you at all, then never do it again. That's okay. But I I just offer it to you as a way of looking at the events of that moment in a different way. And now I'm gonna ask you to look at the commitment, which will be up on the screen, which says this. I will not only shout Hosanna this week, I will live for Jesus in all I am and all I do. And the question is, Will we? Will we live for Jesus in all we are and all we do this week? Because every week here at New Life, we have a commitment. We don't want you to just hear what's been said up here and and have a wonderful time of worship, which we always have here, and then go out and forget all about it. But we want everybody who's here to go out and make a commitment to do something. And last week, I told you last week was a simple commitment. Remember, if you were here, the commitment was to just go out and ask somebody to come to worship this week or ask somebody to go out for a time of fellowship this week. And on Friday, I was driving along and I saw this guy who I knew and who I had invited to church last year, and he never has come. And I I realized, oh, man, I didn't do the commitment yet this week. I didn't ask anybody to come to church. I didn't take anybody out to lunch. I didn't do any of it. And I'm the preacher. You know, how can I ask you all to do a commitment if I'm not even doing it? So I drove, and I told the Saturday night people last night, I told him I drove like 300 yards up the road. Well, I had measured it this morning. It was really like more like a half a mile up the road. And I turned around, and I went back. And I rolled down my window, and said, hey, how you doing? And he looks at me sort of strange. He goes, oh, hi, how are you doing? I said, fine. I said, remember I invited you to church last year? He goes, yeah, I remember. I said, I, I haven't seen you. He goes, yeah, I- I've been sort of busy for a year. You know, but anyway, he's been sort of busy. He hasn't had time to come to church for a year. So I said, well, you know what? We still have church. We have our own building now. We'd love to have you come tomorrow night, 630 or Sunday morning, 845, 1015. And uh, we talked a little bit and, you know, he's making lots of money. That's a good thing, I guess. But anyway, he isn't coming to church. Well, he didn't come today. He didn't come yesterday. But I'm asking him again this week. You see, because if I say that all I am and all I do is going to be devoted to Jesus, then I'm going to try to find these people who don't yet know him and haven't yet experienced the power of having him in in their lives and and offer Jesus to them. So I'm going to give them another chance because you know what? Actually, inside your connection, there's a card. It says change. It's just like the trailer, you know, because we're starting a new series next week. If you'll get that out for a minute, I'd really appreciate it. It's a little postcard. And what we're going to ask you to do, as one of the things you're going to do to all you do is, you know, reflect your uh, Jesus in your life, is you could take the easy way. You could write a person's name and address who doesn't go to church, somebody you know, and you could just write, Dear Joe, I'd love to see you in worship with us this weekend. Okay, and then put a stamp on it, put it in the mail. That would be the easy way. Then you could also take this card and you could actually go to somebody's house you could knock on a door, wait till somebody comes, and I hand it to them and run away. That would be not a good way to do it either. Okay? It's what some people call evangelism. But anyway, you could actually knock on their door and wait till they came, and then you could say, hey, I'd really love to have you come to worship with me next weekend. Because you know what? It's not weird to go to worship on Easter. Everybody who's ever going to go to worship is going to go to worship on Easter. So it isn't a weird thing to ask somebody to come to church next weekend. So I'm encouraging, and you say, well, Chris, there's only one of these cards in my thing. I can ask like five people. Well, there's more cards out on the Welcome Center. You can, if, you, if we run out of cards, we'll print more. If you have five people you want to ask, take five cards. But the point is simple. The point is, it says, I will live for Jesus in all I am and all I do. So that means when I wake up tomorrow, I'm going to say, hey, Jesus, I'm living for you today. Fill me up with your Holy Spirit because I can't do it without your help. It means this afternoon I'm going to think, what could I do? If I was trying to do all that I could do for Jesus, what would it it include? And if you do that, you will find that this Holy Week is the best Holy Week ever in your life. Because we were created for this. You see, Jesus had a purpose. His purpose was to die on the cross and to rise again. So we would have sins forgiven, and so we would have a new life, and so we would know who he is, the Son of the living God. And I don't know what your exact purpose is, but I know part of it. Part of your purpose and part of my purpose is to be light and salt. Remember that message? Light. We're supposed to dispel darkness in people's lives and we're supposed to add zest and flavor and wholeness to people's lives. And so that's something we can do this week. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, I don't believe Jesus is king. I've never trusted him as my savior, as you talk about. Okay, that's a fair response. Well, I would challenge you right now in this very moment to say, how's my life working out for me without Jesus in charge? How's my life working out for me on my own? And if the answer is great, wonderful, fantastic, then I guess you can keep doing that. But if it isn't so great, wonderful, and fantastic, then I would encourage you to ask Jesus right now to, tr- to, to come into your life. That you can say right now, Jesus, I accept the penalty you paid for my sins, which is all the stuff I've done that isn't according to Jesus' will. And I ask you to come in and become Lord, King, Savior in my life. Lord and King, that means he's in charge now. Savior means you don't have to worry about dying and going to hell forever. You can come to, to Jesus forever. Now, here's the thing. I just said something that could be construed the wrong way. I said, if your life hasn't been working out so well for you and now you trust Jesus, I am not going to then say everything will work out well for you. Because look how it worked out for Jesus. He got crucified. Following Jesus is not a guarantee that life will go well for you. Following Jesus is a guarantee that no matter how life goes, He's with us. You see, God will be with us no matter what. Imagine the worst possible thing that could happen in your life right now. What if that happens? That would be the worst possible thing that could happen in your life, but God will be with you in it. That's what the difference is between being a follower of Jesus and not being a follower of Jesus. And you say, Chris, that's not very much. Yeah, it's everything. Because I've been there in the times in my life that have not gone well. When we lost our first baby, when my mother died, when all these different things happened, when I had a headache so bad that I thought I was having a stroke and I asked Jesus to just let me die. And after I got over that, I said, thank you, Jesus, for just being with me. You see, there is a difference between not knowing Jesus and knowing Jesus. And that's just here. The best part of knowing Jesus, some would say, is what happens after he comes back on the horse. So, right now we're gonna take a moment and pause and pray. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord, we're gonna give you a chance to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus is real, that he's your son, that he came here to earth as a baby, he grew up as a man, he was perfect in every way, and he died for us and he rose for us, and he's now reigning in power over us. God, I pray that you'd fill us all with your Holy Spirit anew and afresh, and especially for those who have never trusted you as, as God, as Lord, as Savior, that right now in the moment of silence they would just say, come in, Take over.